Good afternoon, everyone. The common condition of mankind down through history has been one of bondage. And yet, in the future, we see in the Bible a promise of liberty, not only for all mankind, but for the, for the entire creation. In today's sermon, I want to talk about the contrast between the history of slavery in the, in the world that we live in and what the future holds in terms of liberty. The Bible is a proclamation of liberty, and it's important that we understand that and how it contrasts with what humankind has experienced down through the ages. In the mid-19th century, for example, of some 60 million Russians, about 50 million were serfs. Serfdom is a form of bondage little better than abject slavery. In fact, the word serf comes from a Latin word which means slave. And if you add to the 50 million serfs in Russia out of 60 million total population during the mid-19th century, if you add several million who were conscripted into the army and others in prison or some other form of bondage, fewer than 10% of the Russian population had anything like what we would consider personal freedom. In fact, in the whole of Europe during the Middle Ages, less than 10% of the population were free men. As we read in the article on serfdom from Wikipedia, quote, serfdom as an institution has always been commonplace for human society, end quote. In the last two centuries before Christ, the Romans used slaves more widely than ever before and probably with greater brutality. In the mines, they were whipped into continuing effort by overseers. In the fields, they worked in chain gangs. In the public arenas, they were forced to engage in terrifying combat as gladiators. In the Roman Empire, well-educated slaves might work at jobs such as teaching and secretarial work. The lot of those particular slaves was infinitely better by comparison to run-of-the-mill slaves, many of whom spent all their waking hours working in construction, agriculture, and mining. Others worked under the lash in galleys or were forced to fight in gladiatorial contests for amusement. City slaves and household slaves fared better, but any slave could be used for sexual exploitation by members of the master's household. A Roman slave could be whipped or even killed at the pleasure of his master. And as is stated in one article concerning the subject, quote, this right was often exercised with great cruelty, end quote. Marriage among slaves was not recognized. Children of female slaves belonged to the slave's master. Slavery was often practiced among the indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere prior to European colonization. Often the treatment given to such slaves was unimaginably brutal. Slaves were not only forced into labor, but not infrequently, especially among the Maya and Aztecs, offered in human sacrifice. For example, 84,000 victims are said to have been sacrificed in just one temple inauguration of the Aztecs in 1487. While many among their own populations may have been enslaved to one degree or another, many societies that have practiced slavery tended to enslave people of other tribes, nationalities, or religions as well. Often populations subjugated in war have been enslaved. For example, tens of thousands of Jews were enslaved 
by the Romans as a consequence of the war which concluded with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The brutal treatment afforded slaves may have a racial component, but not necessarily. Professor Robert Davis wrote a book entitled Christian Slaves, Muslim Masters, White Slavery in the Mediterranean, the Barbary Coast, and Italy, 1500 to 1800. And he wrote in that book, quote, we cannot think of slavery as something that only white people did to black people, end quote. His study concludes that during the era that he was writing about, it was religion and ethnicity as much as race that determined who became slaves. From the 16th to the 19th centuries, Davis estimates that a million or more Europeans were captured by North African slave traders and sold as slaves to Islamic countries. Davis remarks that the living and working conditions of European slaves sold into Africa in the Ottoman Empire were no better than black slaves sold into the Americas. We read in another source that while African slaves did grueling labor on sugar and cotton plantations in the Americas, European Christian slaves were often worked just as hard and as lethally in quarries and heavy construction and above all, rowing the Corsair galleys themselves. Islam has a long history of enslaving conquered populations. Women captives were often consigned to brothels or harems. The recorded mortality rate among slaves of Islamic owners was high. The Coptic Orthodox Church is said to have participated in the slave trade by emasculating young males from Nubia and Abyssinia and selling them as eunuchs in the Ottoman Empire. Only 10% who underwent this brutal treatment survived the operation. The enslavement of the American Indians by the Spanish, Portuguese, British, French, and others helped decimate the American Indian populations in much of the Western Hemisphere. For example, in Brazil, the Native Americans died in large numbers, both because of slave raiding, mistreatment, and the lack of resistance to European diseases. The treatment of black African slaves in the Caribbean and South American sugar plantations was often even considerably more brutal than was typical in the United States during the era in which slavery was officially sanctioned in the United States or the colonies which preceded the founding of the country as a nation. People often think of slavery in the Americas as in terms of black slaves from Africa, but it's estimated that 80,000 to 130,000 Irish were sent into slavery in America and the West Indies North America and the West Indies just in the years 1651 to 1660, less than a decade. Another source states that 300,000 Irish were sold into slavery by the English from 1641 to 1652, again, just about a decade According to this source, about 300,000 Irish were sold into slavery by the English. But it was not just the Irish who were sold as slaves during that era. Scots, English, and some from mainland Europe were also sent to the West as slaves. As often in history, in this period, it was not only ethnicity, but class, social, and economic status that often made the difference between being free or being made a slave. 
Sources state that no one really knows how many Irish, Scots, and other whites were forced into slavery by the British government during its slave trading era as record keeping was often virtually non-existent. But it is known that the population of Ireland, for, ex for example, was decimated during that time. According to various sources, there were even more whites sold into slavery in the Americas in the 17th century than there were black Africans. It's also stated that white slaves were often subjugated to treatment more brutal than that of black African slaves in that period. The brutality endured by the enslaved populations of captive countries, ethnic and social groups, and war prisoners by the Germans and Japanese in World War II was apoc apocalyptic in its nature. Millions during that period died in slave camps or captive territories as a result of a range of cruelties, including forced migration, forced labor, starvation, and deliberate extermination over a relatively brief period of time of about a little over a decade. We're talking about millions of people. And actually nobody knows exactly how many millions, but it was many millions in China, in Eastern Europe, and other places. The Stalinist gulags or prison work camps in the Soviet Union were nearly, if not altogether, as bad as the Nazi and Japanese prison camps in the war. But victims of the gulag in the Soviet Union were mostly in their own country at the hands of their own people. It's been estimated that more than 60 million perished in the slave camps of the Soviet gulag. Given the nature of communist rule in the Soviet Union, China, and other countries, one could consider much of the population in those countries as having been enslaved. The brutal murders, forced labor, imprisonments, deliberate starvation, and other terroristic actions were designed to keep people in line with government policies, which abrogated personal liberty to a very large degree, if not altogether for the great majority of the populations. So this is just a sketch of slavery as it has been practiced down through the centuries. One could go on and on with other examples of the ubiquitous nature of slavery in human history. But despite the seemingly ubiquitous nature of slavery in the world's history, liberty seems to be an innate desire in human beings. The quest for liberty is what drove many of the early colonists, for example, to North American shores. The United States was forged and established on ideals of individual liberty, liberty that had been largely denied in places from which the pilgrims had come. Yet the awful stain of Slavery burdened the national conscience even as the nation, the United States, was being founded on the ideal of liberty. Although the Declaration of Independence has stated that, quote, all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among them liberty, end quote, liberty was denied to many Americans by the despicable, vile, unconscionable institution of slavery as then being practiced. Although by the late 18th century, most slaves in Britain, or excuse me, should, should say in the British North American colonies were of black African ancestry, some were even then American Indians and some whites also continued to be enslaved. Slavery grossly violated the principle of liberty on which the nation was founded and should have violated the conscience of every person who had a heart. 
Sometimes slavery has been romanticized, whitewashed, and sanitized in the popular media. Such films as Gone with the Wind come to mind. But the romanticized slavery of popular imagination is nothing like the real slavery experienced by those who were so oppressed. Real slavery was more often than not inexpressibly, inexpressibly brutal, oppressive, cruel, and evil in the extreme. And even where there was an occasional relatively benign slave master, slaves were still slaves. They were anything but free. Some have sought to defend slavery as it was practiced in the United States and elsewhere by appealing to scripture. But liberty was denied to many Americans during the slavery era by an institution of chattel slavery that bore little or no resemblance to the well-regulated bondage described in the law of the Old Testament. While numerous cultures the world over have been guilty of enslaving peoples and treating them with unconscionable brutality and abuse for a Christian professing nation to do so, while expressing in its founding documents the concept of liberty for all was a blatant contradiction to its espoused ideals. The fact that most slave owners were white and most slaves in the United States after its establishment as an independent nation were of black African descent added a racial component to the problem that only made it more intractable but no less unjust. Legal slavery in the United States was finally abolished through a bloody civil war in which about 600,000 Americans died. Abraham Lincoln expressed the view that the Civil War was divine punishment for the sin of slavery. In his second inaugural address, he spoke of, quote, this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense of slavery came, end quote. While some forms of slavery were countenanced under the Old Covenant, we read about in the Bible, the manner in which slavery was regulated greatly discouraged its practice. For example, among other restrictions, it was forbidden to return an escaped slave to, its, to his master. In Deuteronomy 23 and verse 15, we read, You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst in the place which he chooses within one of your gates where it seems best to him. You shall not oppress him. Thus, any discontented slave in Israel could simply leave, so far as the law was concerned, and claim his freedom. The laws limiting and regulating slavery, however, like other of God's laws, were often ignored among the Israelites and Jews as they have been among many professing Christians. In Jeremiah chapter 34, for example, in verse 13, beginning in verse 13, we read what God said about circumstances going on among the Jews at that time, but the principle applies at any time where these similar conditions might prevail. In Jeremiah 34, beginning with verse 13. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years let every man set his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him, and when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves, whom he had set at liberty at their pleasure, and brought them back into sub subjection to be your male and female slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me. 
in proclaiming liberty. Every one to his brother and every one to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine. And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. So we see that God takes slavery seriously, and he takes this question of liberty seriously. The theme that runs through the Bible from beginning to end is ultimate liberty, freedom from tyranny, and every other form of enslavement. We're reminded that when God intervened for the children of Israel, they were slaves in a foreign land. God freed them. He liberated them. And we read in Exodus 20, beginning with verse 1, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. God had liberated the people that he was to work with as his chosen people at that time. In Isaiah 61, we read about the mission of the Messiah. Notice what his mission was. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Notice that one of the primary missions of the Messiah was the proclamation of liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who were bound. In Galatians 4, Paul writes about the difference between being a slave and being free. And in Galatians 4 and verse 1, he says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, is not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, the elements of the world, as this term is used in the Bible, generally refers to idolatrous customs and traditions and practices. And he's talking here, he's comparing the time that the Israelites were under the Old Covenant to the liberty that is afforded by conversion under the New Covenant. It says, he goes on to say in verse 4, when the full fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, the law being the old covenant, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and have a son than an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served, by, you served those which by nature are not gods. So here we see he is speaking, actually speaking primarily to Gentiles here, but Gentiles who were being told that they had to come under the old covenant to, be, to have salvation. But they were serving false gods. Before they knew God, the true God, they were serving false gods, just as the Israelites were doing. Even though God had established his covenant with them, they did not keep his covenant. And down through most of the history of Israel and Judah, they were not worshiping God, they were worshiping idols, as you can read in the Old Testament if you take the time to read it. Through the Old Testament, you'll see it very plainly recorded there that God chided them and chastised them and rebuked them 
over and over again because they had abandoned the covenant that he had made with them at Mount Sinai to follow after idols. Paul went on to say in verse 9 of Galatians 4, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Talking again about turning back to false customs, idolatrous customs and traditions. But the effect of coming under the new covenant, of being truly converted, receiving the Spirit of God, is that we become sons of God, no longer slaves to anyone, but sons of God. In Romans 8, verse 19, Paul writes, Romans 8, beginning with verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Notice that it is the intent of God to ultimately deliver from the bondage of corruption the entire creation to the glorious liberty of the children of God. He's especially talking here about human beings. His purpose is to make of all human beings, his children, thus liberating them. Now there are some even among professing Christians who seek to justify and defend human slavery, but to those who seek to defend human slavery, I have this response. Perhaps those who are enamored with the idea of others being enslaved will have the opportunity to experience it for themselves. And should that happen, I suppose you will think it's a grand thing to be taken in the hold of a ship to a faraway land in fear for your own life continually. Notice in Deuteronomy 28, where God warns us that if we do not repent of our sins as a people, we will get to experience slavery. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47, Because you did not serve the Lord God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now, we in the United States have been blessed above all peoples with abundance of everything. And yet we have turned our backs on God. The peoples of Britain, the British-descended nations, the nations of Western Europe and Northwest Europe have enjoyed great abundance and blessings and prosperity but all of these peoples have turned their back on God and his laws and cast them aside and so the day is coming when there will be retribution and the Bible warns us that we will serve our enemies in hunger and thirst and nakedness and need of everything and he will put a yoke of iron on our necks until it has destroyed us as a people. goes on to say in verse 65 of Deuteronomy 28, Among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening, 
and at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart, because of the sight which your eyes shall see. Now this is the very thing that many have experienced having been enslaved in slave camps. For example, in Nazi Germany in World War II or in the Soviet gulags or other similar situations. And in verse 68 it says, The Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again, and there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. In other words, what he's saying is slaves will be so cheap they will be practically worthless, be difficult to sell a slave because there will be so many. But they will be our people, people who have known prosperity, but who did not appreciate it, did not give God thanks for it, and turned to evil. I suppose those who are so enamored of slavery will enjoy being subjugated to forced labor from sunup to sundown. As we read in Lamentations chapter 5 where it recounts the slavery that Judah was subjected to because of their rebellion against God. Verse 13, it says, The young men ground at the millstones, boys staggered under loads of wood. Typical of what a slave endures. I suppose that those who think slavery is so grand will not mind having their wives raped. As we read in Deuteronomy 28, verse or excuse me, in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 11, again, speaking of the slavery endured by the people of Judah, and this is also prophetic of what will happen in the future, it says in verse 11, Lamentations 5, they ravished the women in Zion, the maidens in the cities of Judah. And they will do the same as they have done in other similar situations Many other times they will do the same in the future among our people unless we repent. I suppose those who think slavery is so romantic that they won't mind having their children sold into slavery as many slaves have had their children sold as slaves and others who have been taken captive, have seen their children sold into slavery along with themselves. Joel 3 and verse 3, Joel 3 and verse 3, it says, They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. And this is a prophecy of what will befall us as a people if we do not repent. I suppose those who think slavery is so wonderful will not shed any tears if they are enslaved themselves, as we read about in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning with verse 48. Lamentations 3 and verse 48, My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because all the daughters of my city, my enemies without cause, hunted me down like a bird. And I suppose those who think slavery is so wonderful will not be praying for deliverance as slaves themselves, as we read about in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46. When they sin against you, this is a prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple concerning the people of Israel. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land, of those who took them captive, saying, 
We have sinned and done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And you forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt out of the iron furnace that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you for you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. You think the people enslaved will not be praying to God for deliverance? If you would not desire to be a slave, why would you be content to see others in slavery? Especially as a Christian. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So, if you would not be a slave, why would you want to see others enslaved? If you cannot have mercy for others, then you should expect none from God. That's what God's word tells us. Jeremiah 34 and verse 13. Jeremiah 34 and verse 13. Therefore thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty. Everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. This is a reverence to how a covenant was entered into generally. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. And in Matthew 5, verse 7, it says, Blessed are those, are the, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, if we would not want to be slaves ourselves, it would be prudent for us not to wish slavery upon others, or tolerate it, or contemplate, or try to justify, or defend such an institution, especially the kind of slavery that we were practicing in the United States before the Civil War as a people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In James 2 and verse 13, we read, For judgment is, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy James wrote, triumphs over judgment. The God of the Bible is not a God who enjoys seeing people enslaved. The God of the Bible is a God of liberty. The God of the Bible is the God who freed the captives of Israel who were subjected to a brutal slavery, as we read earlier. 
And the God of the Bible, though, is a just God who punishes iniquity. And he gave fair warning to the people of Israel that if they did not continue in his law, that they would be sent back into slavery. It's punishment to bring them to their senses, to bring them to repentance. But God also told us that though he will allow them to be enslaved, he will also intervene to free them. And he will not only free them, but he will free all mankind, ultimately. As we read in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 25, Isaiah 49, verse 25, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. In Romans 8, verse 21, we read again the creation itself. The creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It is God's ultimate aim to deliver us all into the glorious liberty of the children of God if we're willing to submit to him and yield to him as our God. And the day is coming when God will destroy all oppressors off the face of the earth. There will be no slaveholders. There will be no oppressors. As we read in Psalm 9, verse 8, excuse me, Psalm 9, beginning with verse 5. Psalm 9, beginning with verse 5, you have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. This is a prophecy of what's coming to pass in the future when Christ intervenes in the affairs of mankind. Jesus Christ returns to this earth to take the reins of government over the earth. And it says, You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. For the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And in Psalm 10, Psalm 10 and verse 12, it says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, You will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause their ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. So the oppressed will be delivered. Those in bondage will be freed. And the man of the earth will oppress no more. Today, as we speak, slavery is said to be outlawed in every country. It's said to be outlawed in every country, but despite that, 
human slavery is still endemic in much of the world, including the United States, including the nation of Israel, which is really in the Bible referred to as Judah, but the name given to the modern Jewish nation is Israel. Slavery exists in the United States, it exists in Israel and many other nations, probably every other nation. Various estimates exist for the number of people enslaved currently worldwide up to more than 35 million. Nobody really knows, however. 35 million is probably a low estimate given the fact that most slave trade occurs illegally and is hidden from view. As we read in an article in Wikipedia on slavery, quote, due to the illegal nature of human trafficking, its exact extent is unknown, end quote. The worst offenders in terms of human slavery today, according to the U.S. State Department, are Russia, China, Uzbekistan, Cuba, North Korea, Sudan, Zimbabwe, and several countries in the Middle East. And yet, India is estimated by the Walk Free Foundation, an anti-slavery advocacy organization, the Walk Free Foundation. India is estimated to have more than 14 million people enslaved today. Haiti and a number of African nations rank high on the list kept by the Walt Free Foundation of offenders in terms of the percentage of population enslaved. In the Middle East, in areas controlled by Islamist organizations such as ISIS, women and children are being sold openly as slaves, as sex slaves. And the Daily Mail, the British newspaper, reports that middle-aged women are sold for around $40 American. And children sold into sex slavery bring about four times that amount, or about $120, about $160. So don't think that slavery is just something that happened in the past. It's happening now. It's happening today. By some estimates, there are a quarter of a million sex slaves just in the United States itself. And by the way, those are not necessarily sold openly, but they are said by various sources to be sold at auctions in various places around the country, including children kidnapped off the streets or women kidnapped and sold into slavery as sex slaves. Despite the stain of slavery on the national record of the United States, England and other nations descended largely from Anglo-Saxon forebears, those nations have been bastions of liberty for more than 200 years. As we read before, the United States was founded on the ideal of personal liberty. As few other nations, I don't know of any other nation, really, that has been established specifically and, and expressly on that ideal. And by and large, we have been champions of liberty despite the stain of slavery on our record. Remember, we fought a brutal civil war a bloody and deadly civil war to rid ourselves as a nation of that awful institution. And we in this country have enjoyed liberty of a kind rarely matched in human history despite our flaws and weaknesses. With the liberty that was instrumental in forming the basis for the remarkable blessings and prosperity of our peoples, blessings and prosperity that have been gifts of God, the blessings and prosperity that we have enjoyed for some 200 years 
is fast slipping away because we've turned our backs on the Creator, who is the author of every blessing, including the blessing of liberty. As we've read earlier, Scripture warns us where our sins will lead if we do not repent. As we read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord God, the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Other scriptures give more details of the slavery that awaits our people unless we repent. But after a brief period of punishment, mercifully, God will redeem our peoples out of captivity and restore their freedom. Today we're keeping the Sabbath. Those of us here, other people elsewhere are similarly keeping the Sabbath. The weekly Sabbath is a holy day God appointed in his word and it points to a time of ultimate liberty. Not only for physical Israel, but for all peoples, for all nations willing to learn and practice God's way of life. The Sabbath is a weekly holy day, but the Bible also gives us instructions on other festivals that are be, to be kept on an annual basis. The Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. All of those festivals of God, every single one of them, point in one way to or, another, or another to the ideal of liberty. Because God is a God who is a liberating God. And one of the themes of those holy days, all of them, one of the themes of Scripture throughout the Bible is proclaim liberty throughout all the land. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land. As we read in Leviticus 25, verse 10, and the day when that prophetic pronouncement will be made is coming. 